And so it really was a crisis in my own life, a crisis produced by my constantly pushing, constantly, you know, looking for the next hill to take and orcs to kill and all of that sort of stuff, buildings to build, you know, <laughs> started to look like the guy in Ecclesiastes, just one thing after the next, uh, running out of myself. And so the discovery of, no, there's this gift, it's called Sabbath. Welcome to the Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. God is preaching a sermon to the world through people's lives. People's experience, history, and testimonies all point to some amazing attribute of God that you too can experience. I interview revolutionaries, fire starters, and troublemakers. This podcast is here to be a voice of encouragement in your life. A voice that says with God you can and with God you will step into the abundant life. So let's get rolling. Today on the Kindling Fire, I am uh, super excited to have Mark Buchanan on the show. Um, thank you, Mark, for joining. Troy, I'm really glad to be here. So Mark is out of um, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and he's actually a, a pastor, a professor of pastoral theology, an award-winning author, and he and his wife live in Calgary. Uh, some of the author, some of the books you may have heard from Mark include "Your Your God Is Too Safe," "Your Church Is Too Safe." The rest of God, God walk in spiritual rhythm. Um, I am really uh, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, this is actually a conversation brought by a mutual uh, acquaintance and friend, uh, David Johannes, who was also a podcast host and author, uh, who has been on my show uh, a while back, and he's based out of Thailand. And I heard a conversation that David and Mark had, and I just said, and I really want to have this conversation uh, with Mark. So again, thank you, Mark, for taking the invite. And yeah, Troy, thanks for the opportunity. So the the thing I want to dive into is something that I believe that you have touched on that I I really have not heard other thought leaders even mention, and that is the 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 associ the association of rest and risk in the Gospels. And and how um, these two ideas uh, intertwine and, and are interwoven into one another, and you can find a lot of people in the rest contemplative prayer and kind of rest camp and kind of really espousing books and thoughts of uh, on that side, and then you can find a lot of people in the risk camp, be it missionaries and entrepreneurs or you know change your life in 30 days and, you know, all these different, you know, sort of high risk ventures, but these camps tend to live very separately. And, uh, and you are a voice that I've not run across before that kind of said, no, these camps can work in touch with one another. And in fact, this is how Jesus lived. So by introduction, that's as much as I'll say. And I really just want to learn from you um, some of your thoughts in this space and, and we'll just kind of, go from there so so let's let's just start here i know you've made this statement that you believe jesus ministry was marked by this tension of rest and risk and maybe we can start there yeah absolutely in fact i think these things are inseparable in the gospel if i if the, if the gospels have a key emphasis i think it's activism i think it's risk but very quick in both the ministry, the, the actual live life of Christ, and in the teaching of Christ, we see that apart from a life of receptivity, 
attentiveness, quietness of spirit, listening, resting. If we don't have that discipline in our life, we soon run out of ourselves. Hmm. So th- there is very much a rhythm, again, that we, we, we can watch in the life of Christ and then some specific teaching. So very quickly, Troy, uh, I, I was actually just working with a passage this morning. I'm a professor, as you mentioned, and I'm teaching in uh, one of my classes tomorrow, looking at the um, uh, Jesus going off in the morning. This is Mark chapter one to, to pray, to go into solitary places, to be alone with the father. Yeah, and then the disciples come hunt him down and says, you know, everybody's looking for you. And he says, okay, well, well actually, we're going to clear out of here. We're going to go to another town because that's why I came to preach. <laughs> and then it says they went to the next town they pre- and he preached and cast out demons. So his, contem- his contemplative kind of posture instantly leads its, its uh, issues out into this life of deep engagement and activism. So I, I think we see it modeled in his life. And then uh, I I think one of the key teachings is the upper room discourse, John 15, 16, 17, or rather uh, 14, 15, 16, and then the prayer in 17. And interestingly, chapter 14 of that kind of Jesus final words with his disciples, the very end of chapter 14, he says, arise, let us go. And then the next verse beginning in chapter 15 begins the passage about abide in me and so you think what do you think you need to just tell them to get up and go and 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 in chapter 16 of john he's going to tell them how dangerous the mission is and they're on mission and the holy spirit's going to give them strength and words to say and all that but it's this interruption of this summons to action arise let's go with this oh wait a second sit down and let me let me tell you what's at the heart of this fruitfulness of, of your being effective out there. You've got to abide. You have to have a practice of listening, of stillness, of receiving. So I think, and I, I, could, I could point at other uh, teachings of Christ, but I think it's just built in to how he lived life and then how he taught us to live life. And so it's always been a bit confusing to me that there are these two camps <laughs> Uh, you know, when, when D- David actually flees from Absalom, he goes and he he uh, stays in a, in a place called Manaheim, which means literally the two camps. And yet it's one place geographically, physically, it's one place. But there's the sense that uh, there's two kind of postures or whatever in that camp. And I think that's what the gospel is inviting us into a, a kind of a dwelling in Manaheim and this, this kind of living both in this place of restfulness, attentiveness, and in this place of let's go, let's rise up and go out and do the things that um, spirits, you know, awakened us and empowered us to do. But do you believe that there is a um, limitations in having these things live separately? So let's oh, say, that you, yeah, yeah. So you, tell me what your, what your thoughts in on uh, both, I mean, both sides of that. Limitations to the point. It, it's it's. I think first of all, Troy, that almost all of the gospel comes to us by way of paradox. These tensions that don't get resolved, they just get lived. Uh, there's a wonderful quote, and I'm going to hash it by G.K. Chesterton. He says that uh, Christianity is sort of these fierce 
fierce contradictions uh, and we don't resolve the contradictions that they just remain fierce and they remain contradictions. <laughs> and since he's, you know, in, in typical chess, chess Dorian, you know, kind of prose, he's, he's heightening something where we at the, think of the heart of the gospel is uh, uh, Jesus is fully man, fully God. That's a profound paradox. But I think this is one of those paradoxes that we're meant to live in and, and Typically, we're uncomfortable with the paradox. We try to sort of pick one side of it. I, I, I mean, another would be Jesus came full of truth and grace. And I actually think you can almost divvy up churches across the, the landscape that we got the truth churches and the grace churches. And it's the holding together that actually creates the energy of the gospel. So I think a lot is lost and a lot's actually um, damaged when we sever these, this this content, this contemplative life with this life of risk and action. I I, I think actually, let me put it and try to put it succinctly as I can. I think what the gospels teach us, what Christ teaches us, is that a life of risk and act action requires a life of contemplation. And a life of contemplation ought to arise into a life of risk and action. I think th th that's how it's meant to be. And so if they get separated, something went funny. <laughs> something went askew. Mm. And it is separated, right? I mean, you have sort of the contemplative prayer side that's like weird. This is the totality of my experience with God is in the contemplative prayer uh, meditative states and 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 union with God and and this and then you've got the what about the dying world, yeah right. What about the you know it's the sort of the James side of the gospel? You know it's just like don't show me this this faith without deeds. Like I'll show you what I think and believe by what I do and this whole activity side, and and sometimes. Um, the 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 tension that you brought up with the first example of Christ, you know, how did he know that the next assignment, the risk assignment, was to go to another city, yeah. disappointing effectively all the people that are saying, we want you, we need you. Yeah. You know, how would he know that? Except has <laughs> deep attentiveness, receptivity to the Father, I mean, Jesus himself and John announces his fundamentally his missiology, his methodology around missions. He says, "I just watch what Dad's doing, and then I do follow him." Yeah, but where is he? You know that there. It, it's a as practice of. I keep calling it attentiveness. I actually think at the heart of Sabbath is not stillness, but attentiveness. Is mm. coming is coming back into this deep awareness of the, the Father's presence with us and listening to what he's asking what he's what he's inviting us to but it's always an invitation to something he's up to which is usually risky <laughs> yeah like like yeah. i just can't see the father constantly saying oh no 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 you know uh you know i, I don't want you you don't want you caring about the dying and the the, the, the vulnerable I, I just want you to stay here in the sweetness of this contemplative life. And, and by the way, I hope we at some point get to the Mary Martha story, because I think actually that's more a story about Martha than it is about Mary. And I, I've, 
I, I, I strenuously disagree that Jesus is telling that the one thing we need is to sit at his feet all the time. I just think yeah, well, let's get into it because that's a very that's very much a a a <laughs> outcome of that teaching is it's that a, she has chosen the better yeah. route. It, it is the you know I I, I hate to sound academic y but the paradigmatic text of the contemplatives in some ways, and Mary is kind of the poster girl. And I, uh, so here's a, a few thoughts about it. Well, I, I, I want to kind of dismantle that kind of interpretational bit. First of all, it, it's a story, it's only told in Luke's gospel, and it's in Luke 10, and Luke 10 has three parts. It has the first part, the sending of the disciples, uh, 72 of them, into a dangerous mission that is so urgent that Jesus says, don't even talk to people as you go. Just go. And you're like wolves among your sheep among wolves. It's super dangerous, super urgent. Why are you standing there? Go. The next story, the next part of Luke 10 is a good Samaritan, which is uh, how do I get, you know, the question from the teacher of the law, how do I get saved? How do I get into this, this, this life of salvation? Jesus said, well, what are you doing now? All the law. Well, okay. Um, let me tell you a story about helping everybody that you don't know who can bleed on the upholstery of your car. And you is your job to not only help them, but to pay for it. Go and do likewise. So these are two risk stories or two sending stories or two. It's pure activism. Yeah. Next story is a Martha Mary story. Now, actually, Jesus tends to tell, especially in Luke, in triads, so three three things in a row, and each story reinforces the the one before it. So, for instance, Luke 15 is the three parables of lost things, lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons. And he tends to work in these sort of pair, these, these triads, and we're expecting that the story after the Good Samaritan is going to be maybe the Mary Martha story, but Jesus vigorously taking the side of Martha, who's the activist in the story. And it flips. And one of the reasons I think it flips is, again, Jesus is demonstrating in life, word, and deed that there is this rhythm of risk of rest, that we, we need them both. But coming to the story itself, I think it's mostly a story about Martha. And it's about Martha, uh, who actually, you know, default is to do things and Jesus loves her doing things. He loves eating, and she's in the kitchen making food. He never chases her into the kitchen and tells her, you know, now I'm into this portion of my teaching that's very profound, very lofty. You should come and sit and listen. She's the one who chases him and Mary down. Uh, so it's not like he's interrupting her. She's interrupting them. Jesus is quite content to have her doing what she's doing. And in one other story, we have a Martha in John chapter 12. She's also serving in that story. While interestingly, Mary is at the feet of Jesus again, completely different story. But it seems that Martha is completely content in her role in John 12. She's not in Luke 10. I think that partly what Luke, the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10 illustrates is what happens if you keep going, 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 going doing, 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 risking, 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 serving, sacrificing, etc., And you never have this practice of attentiveness, of receptivity. You get angry. And I think that the activist listening uh, will immediately 
identify with what I just said. I think that they get angry. They get angry that the others aren't doing what they're doing. They get angry at life, at just frustration. They get angry at Jesus even. Why aren't you telling others to get in, in the game? And I think it sort of a, a kind of captures the heart of the activist that's tired, hmm. exhausted, that has lost the plot. Now, here's the crucial part of the story. And it took me years of going into it and being frustrated with the, the sort of in, sort of interpretive line that I was hearing from pulpits and whatnot that always Mary's held up as his exemplar. And honestly, Troy, I'm thinking, okay, I, you know, I, I, I know it's important to sit at Jesus' feet, but the, like all the time, all day. <laughs> right. And also for 24 years as a pastor and frustrated out of my mind with Mary, the Marys, because everybody's, you know, stacking the chairs after the event or something to clean up the room. And Mary's not, she's talking to the worship leader or something. And uh, just like, you know, get out of the way if you can't help. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so anyhow, I just was frustrated with that line and I started to look very closely at the story and including it's the original language. And what's so fascinating is twofold. One is that Jesus has a very distinct contrast in the, original version of that the greek between the many and the one G, uh, mary is or Martha is distracted by the many things um she is uh she has she has uh, there's there's twice he uses the word many or the text uses the word many and then jesus said only one thing's needed and if you actually parse it jesus is saying that um that really what leads to this this anxiety that we see so manifest in mary is when we're multitasking when we're not being present where we are so we're, we're distracted we're pulled apart literally distracted means pulled apart by the, by the many things and troy when you think about it those times when off you know when you probably feel anxiety you can diagnose it pretty quick that you're not thinking um, sometimes you're obsessing about one thing but often you're just pulled apart by many things. You're thinking about all the things you need to do. Yeah. And so that's one of the, the clues, clues. But the biggest one is that Jesus says Martha's name twice, Martha, Martha. And there's only seven occurrences in all scripture where God or Jesus uses a name twice. Saul, Saul, Moses, Moses, um, uh, Samuel, Samuel, etc. And in those three occurrences, there are always, or seven occurrences, they are always are, are call stories or call after a, after some disaster. So Peter, Peter, after um, Peter denies, yeah. uh, is going to deny Jesus. In other words, I think this is a story about Martha, and I think it's a story about her calling and Jesus actually calling her back to a, a joyful, robust, sort of spirit of serving that she i think is, is known for of hospitality and when he says mary's chosen what the better thing it's very clear in the greek agathos he's not, he's not saying she's chosen the best but if jesus had to pick between an angry activist <laughs> and a sort of uh serene contemplative i think he'll pick the contemplative mm -hmm. but i think what he would really like is if uh, the kind of contemplative posture of Mary could issue out into the kind of in, into a joyful act, uh, you know, serving and acting that we we see in other cases or assume in other cases in 
Martha. So I really think it's about Martha and I think it's about, uh, it's a word to activists that if you don't have a off button or a sort of a, a way to dial yourself back and come into the presence of Jesus again, you're going to get to the place where you're bitter. And I, I think probably Troy, you, we've both met those people. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's an odd, I have an odd quote from, and I think it's an Irish quote and it talks about, don't give a man a sword that cannot dance. <laughs> and yeah, it's a great quote. And I, it may be a little bit varied from that, but it, that's the essence of it. It's sort of like war, being a warrior and having a sword and being at war and the task of war is not the only thing. Yeah. Right. And there, there is this side of, you know, that if it's sort of, if the warrior is all business and he really doesn't know how to dance, he's probably not as an effective warrior because he doesn't have this tension. And that's a very much a tension kind of whoa. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, um, if I could translate what I think you're telling me about the Mary Martha story is that he was not necessarily saying to Martha, stop activity, but, but more from a standpoint of, um, well, I would say maybe the focus of the activity, like the idea that you could be activated and moving in action, but be at rest. Cause that's the thing that's been really interesting to me right because it's very much like i can be at rest when nothing's going on or i can be all angsty when i have a lot going on but the idea that i could and so i try to create these vacation environments and try to remove my circumstances and kind of create this outside rest so that i'll have inside rest whereas i think what god is offering is this ability to be at sabbath uh be at rest even while active which obviously Martha was not because she was upset. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. Try, you know, um, the rabbi, many rabbis speaking about the Sabbath say that our work, uh, the Sabbath is not the reward for our work. So it's not like we work hard and then we get, you know, the day off or whatever, but our work arises out of our Sabbath. So then in a dent, what, what you just said that there's this, place of uh we've come back into the center of our relationship with the lord we've come back and really rediscovered our identity and our calling our vocation and out of that discuss fresh discovery we now work we now serve we now do dangerous things and it's a um the the absence of any kind of practice of rest that's going to finally uh, dry up the sources of our renewal, dry up the sources of our courage even to serve. Mm. Uh, so I, I, that's again why I, I, I would never separate these things. I think they so intertwine. I think they're always meant to be together. And in, in a lot of ways, we just simply say, when I'm becoming Martha-like, the, that, that's a major cue before, before I get that, that bitter that I need to to sort of go back to a place of attentiveness, resting, contemplation. Uh, but I think if we're never doing Martha things, if we're never doing, or the stuff that we see in the, the first part, first two parts of Luke 10, the, you know, going out, 
with the urgent message of salvation to the, 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 the villages and towns around about never helping anybody in a, in a precarious crisis. If those aren't fruits of our contemplation, I'm not sure what we're contemplating. You know, not, not the God of mission, it seems to me. I love, who is it that said, you know, um, uh, the church of God doesn't have a mission in the world, but the God of mission has a church in the world. So to, to God is very much the God who is on mission, inviting us into it. But he wants even to come back to your dance, you know, don't give a sword to a man who can't dance. Uh, part of the way we bear witness to the goodness of God is by a, a, a joyful, a joyfulness, even in affliction or even in suffering or whatnot. And uh, that's coming out of this intimacy with the Lord. It's coming out of a, a knowing God, knowing the presence of God, hearing the voice of God. That's where the this, this joy that animates our activity is going to come from. So how did you come to this place? Like, seriously, because I'm just curious, like, was this, a quest was this just like ah oh, this is odd i noticed this in scripture was it personal like how did you get to this this place it's it's so two two real roots of it one is i am more wired toward activism mm. and i was the guy who didn't burn out but came close and got angry and got frustrated at all the people who weren't doing what i thought they should be doing this is yeah. when i was in ministry and um god led me and my wife into a discovery of Sabbath. And so it really was a crisis in my own life, a crisis produced by my constantly pushing, constantly, you know, looking for the next hill to take and orcs to kill and all of that sort of stuff, buildings to build, you know, <laughs> started to look like the guy in Ecclesiastes, just one thing after the next. And uh, just getting, getting, uh, running out of myself. And so the discovery of, no, there's this gift, it's called Sabbath. And so that was the beginning for me. But I very quickly came as I began to uh, explore that, speak on that. It, it, it was uh, my book, The Rest of God, uh, remains my best selling book um, and continues to sell well because it touched a nerve all these tired people, all these tired activists. So <laughs> I began getting invited all over the place to speak about that. But then I noticed this rising sort of uh, tide of, of, of literature and, and webinars and seminars and everything on the contemplative life that didn't explore the missy, you know, the, the, the call to missions, the call to sacrifice, the call to risk. And so that's where I started to deep uh, the scriptures about this. And, and then it's everywhere. <laughs> once you, once you put that lens on it, it, it is um, almost from beginning to end this story, this rhythm that moves throughout the scripture of both the summons to be still pay attention. Uh, no God be still and no God is Psalm 4610 and then get going. Come on, let's let's move. Let's let's. Uh, time is short, you know. Yeah. So, I uh, 
it's, it, <laughs> I love this topic. It's so fascinating. It's like, I think that the Lord, I've come to understand a God that, that through my life, that he gives pause to the reckless or he gives pause to the, the people that are, um, you know, just driving and frustrated. Right. And by nature, maybe they're more prone to that. But he's also the God that gives sort of well, a kick you in the pants yeah. to to the people that won't because out of a fear. Right. Or what ifs and and they kind of analysis paralysis or whatever. And he's the God of both. Yeah. And and so some people need more rest and some people need more risk. Uh, and he'll probably kick you out of the boat on both sides. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I well said. Yeah, no, I, 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 I entirely. I mean, again, coming back to my years in pastoral ministry, I saw both of those extremes. I saw the people that didn't have any uh, capacity to actually slow down. They didn't know how. They're frustrating everyone. Um, every, everyone in their speaking about the two kinds of people that tend to kind of, you know, yes. God has in 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 his um, in his church in his fold uh, the one who can't seem to rest and listen and slow down in any way, and so their activism often does become a kind of uh, a recklessness or a uh, it's just it's done in, in a kind of me mechanical way or it becomes very driven and anxious. On the other side is this person who just wants to sort of ponder God all the time. And I, I do think you're right that in, in, in many ways, God wants to motivate each in different ways. Mm. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was more that guy who couldn't slow down and it was not doing me, my health, the church, my family, my spouse, any kind of good in the end. Mm. Once I began to learn uh, and receive the gift of, of Sabbath, it really was transformative, especially as I held these things together. I, people sometimes ask, you know, if they've read one, say, say the rest of God, what is, what is the follow-up to it? And in some ways, the book God Walk would be a natural pairing or spiritual rhythm. You mentioned both those. But I often recommend your church is too safe because it's a theology of risk. And, and so I, I want um, to, 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 as much as I can influence that reader, to have them here in as, in as sort of vigorous forms as possible, the summons to both these things, and not to sort of prefer one over the other, but to, to, live, to live them both and live in the tension of, these, of them both. Well, I want to ask you uh, one last question that maybe you have an example. So you've been a man um, who, you know, struggled to kind of, you were kind of go, go at him, go get him, you know, that ecclesiastical, I can relate, you know, what's the next mountain? Let's go. Um, then you kind of, you know, get all surly or whatever, you know, God teaches you about rest in this tension of rest and risk. Do you have ex an example of like, this is when I think it went well. Either he he backed me off of something and said, you know, that's not your, you don't have to go save the yeah. world there. Or he, he, you were, he called you into a, a, a season of rest. And man, that's another question. I guess I got two questions. Maybe you can hit <laughs> them both. 
One is, are these things seasonal? That's I, yeah. Yeah. You know, like where it's a season of risk or a season of risk. But I guess what I'm looking for is some kind of like, okay, having experienced this, realized this, here's an example of kind of maybe how that looked for you. Yeah, I can I can give you one immediately and it's very, very recent. So when I left pastoral ministry 10 years ago to come and teach at a university and seminary, uh, my wife and I decided it was going to be a season of more rest. We had been... Uh, it was it was a vigorous church. It was growing. We had a lot of stuff going on in terms of uh, presence in the community and presence um, in in um, globally. I was traveling a lot. A lot of it was going to our various sites globally to visit and encourage our, our, our missionaries on the ground there. It was excellent. I loved it. But when we moved here, I'd suddenly none of none of those kind of ministry pressures were on but we decided let's take a season to rest and my wife had very clear sense that uh she was to at least take a year not that we weren't doing anything we had some involvements but it was quite minimal and uh, so we did that for a while and then it got boring to be honest and uh, we sense god saying now you can get involved so we did various things we've always had a love for canada's first nations people indigenous people uh, what i think on your side of the border you call native americans um and uh so we started to get involved in some of the communities round about in various ways but um what I started to notice, even that after, you know, coming up seven, eight years of teaching, I, I hadn't really been involved in a high risk venture for a while. And I, I, you know, I was coming up into my sixties. I was just about to turn 60 and realized I, I think the Lord is calling both my wife and I into high risk venture. So we prayed and talked and, and what we ended up doing, we have a ministry now. My wife, uh, I, I, I provocatively say my wife left me. Uh, what she did is she, she lives part of the year on a little island in British Columbia, and I commute between Calgary and that little island. And we started a ministry in the middle of COVID, which actually turned out to be the perfect time. It's a ministry. It's a second stage recovery for Indigenous women or, or Native American women. These are women who all of them have been traumatized, often in ways that are horrifying. Um in order to cope with the trauma at some point they turn to some substance whether it's crystal meth or it's heroin or it's drink or whatever it happens to be whatever you know they all, all have their substance of preference and then whatever was available after that um so we you know here's i'm i'm in my 60s my wife's just coming up into 60 and god gives us this vision we have to raise hundreds of thousands of bucks for it. We have to go and approach cottagers on a little island and say, oh, by the way, would you rent us uh, your place? We're going to bring in some uh, Native women uh, who are recovering from heroin and crystal meth. <laughs> They're going to live there. Um, so we had to be, you know, it was plucky. It was audacious. And... Uh, and yet it was so clear to my wife and I, this is what the Lord was calling us to do. It is, uh, it's a, it, my wife, again, she's the director of it. I come and basically, you know, come back on and off the island and I do a lot of the maintenance work for it. So the women know me mostly as a maintenance guy and a, and a woodcutter. Um, 
which is great. I get texts from these women, we're out of kindling or whatever. This is what my life has become. But it's high risk. Um, these women are, are, are at risk. We provide a place of safety, but it's a thing where they are dealing with the demons that you didn't even know were out there. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, all on. Now, what we've done is we built into a rhythm. It's a seven months on, five months off. So mm -hmm. it's seven months of going flat out, gutting it out, weeping. Uh, these women, um, they, they when, when they uh, go into a crisis, it's a major, major thing. We watch the miracle of God of these women being transformed before our very eyes. <laughs> Um, like, like, like to the point where physically they're unrecognizable, you know, seven months after they've come from the women who, you know, the person who stepped, stepped onto the shore before, like on record, if I ran into the, the one I met day one and the one I meet on graduation, I would not have any clue that's the same person. So, uh, we love it, but it would kill us. I think if we're going full out 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. We built the rhythm in, and that just came out of stuff for a whole bunch of reasons. There's some logistics around that, but it's it's mostly to, you know, make sure that we survive this and have energy for it, and we have a deep bank of, of renewal. But yeah, that came out of uh, a time of season of contemplation. It was a season of waiting, of listening, of resting. Emerged this. Ah, you know what? We're done with all of that season is just getting boring. We're getting dull <laughs> and then called into this, but called into it with this, this, uh, these, this rhythm actually worked into the very, very texture of it. Yeah. That is an incredibly great example. Uh, because, and it's very care. I just love that. It's sort of like, you really want to lean back and hear the heartbeat of God. If you really want to do that, it, he's going to put you in situations where, you probably he's going to call you to call call you away from something you probably don't want to be called away from or he's going to call you to something you probably don't want to be called to <laughs> but it's very much his heart and it's always good it's always <laughs> and, yeah and honestly like there have been times troy like it's been so hard so many turns to get the thing just raising the money and then like like say finding the places for them to live and uh, and and I and I thought like the the daily kind of uh, burden of this, especially on my wife, is extraordinary. We wouldn't do anything else, so because it's the heart of God, and it, it's become over and over so revealed to us how deeply loved these women are, oh. how, how God loves these women, how God has a destiny for these women that they stop believing and they're waking up to it again. These women are amazing. They are heroes. They are some of the funniest, brightest people we've ever met. And some of them didn't have a chance until God tapped on a, on a couple of, you know, uh, the, 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 the word, the, the collective word uh, for, for people in their 60s is sextagenarians. I kind of like that. Um, uh, <laughs> I tell my wife, we're just, you know, in our, our peak season here, but um but he taps a couple of white people, uh, me in my 60s, my wife almost, and says, how about you? And honestly, there was moments I'm looking around like, well, what about, well, how about them? <laughs> <laughs> and, 
Yeah, that's at the end of the Gospels, and Jesus. Yeah, that's says, right. Well, what about don't him? you worry about them. You're you gonna like me. suffers. You're gonna be killed, you know, crucified upside down. What's that to you? I might want him around. You know, whatever. Like, so what about and and the Lord kept saying, no, 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 I've, I've picked you. And honestly, we could both report, even though we're exhausted, especially my wife, through most of this. My wife actually said two nights ago to me, we phone every night. She said, I've never been so exhausted in my life. I've never been so exhilarated in all my life oh my god um now she also in not only do we have this rhythm of seven months and then five months sort of of not doing it which we do stuff but it's just not as intense through that period but she she takes a full sabbath and she's teaching the women the principle of sabbath so we've we we have a, a little community that gathers. We do it on a Sunday. We worship together. It's very non-production. It's it's like twenty people in a room, and and uh, we just say, "Hey, Troy, do you want to read the Bible today? Here's a verse." And so it's it's very community. Um, and then it's just we go for a walk. We have a meal together. It's pure Sabbath. Oh, that's so so nice. that's just part of the rhythm of how we do this life and this ministry. The women have often never had real rest in their life either. So they're learning Sabbath as part of uh, a number of other things that, that um, yeah. they're, they're learning. That's yeah. amazing. Well, Marks, thank you so much for coming on. I, this conversation I is so timely. You don't even know. It's so timely. And uh, I know it's you know, the listeners are really going to benefit from it. So thank you so much for your time for coming. So glad. Thanks, Troy. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I am doing a YouTube channel. So we do video formats of these podcasts and we'd love to have you look there. Okay guys, until next time, be awesome.